Hi, this is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, back in the podcasting chair for the All Access Star Trek podcast. This week, we have an interview with Mary Wiseman and Noah Averback-Katz from Star Trek Discovery, which we're very excited about. Uh, but we're going to do news first. And there actually is news. There's been a lot of news. Not as much as last week. Last week was all news with uh, Matt and I. You guys did a great job, by the way. Thank you, Matt, for filling in. And I found everything you guys had to say really fascinating. Well, it was fun, but I missed you. (laughs) Okay, so um, as every week, I've been doing a quick award season update. This week, Star Trek Picard won a Golden Reel Award. That's the Audio Editors Guild. They both Picard and Discovery had nominations, but it got one win. It tied for the win with the Queen's Gambit. It still counts. It's still a win. It won for um, sound editing for Foley. How would you describe Foley? You're an industry professional. Well, it's when you reproduce a real life sound with another sound, I think is the simplest way to describe it. And Will Wheaton's Ready Room after show, or I guess it's an after it's show. It's an now, after right? show. Yeah. It's not an immediate after show, is it? <laughs> um, no, it, uh, I think it's it's same day. Has been nominated for a Webby Award, so congratulations to that. I was I was happy to see that because um, I just love that he's sort of back in the franchise in his own way. I think he people talked a lot of crap about Will Wheaton for many years, um, so it's nice to see him right in the middle of all of it. And as enthusiastic as he is. Um, he's just he's doing a great job and that made me very happy this year was the first year that a star trek got an annie award nomination um there was just one for lower decks which was for music uh but they lost out to clone wars you know and which is kind of almost a recurring thing we've seen all award season is mandalorian and clone wars now star wars keeps on beating out star trek at all these various guild awards oh I'm sorry, Star Trek. Let's go through some of the shows. Uh, let's start with Strange New Worlds. Yeah, there was a big interview with Anson Mount talking about episodic Star Trek, which was nice to hear those words together in one place. I mean, we've been hearing this from the beginning, is that it's going to yep. be more traditional. What I really liked what he said was, he said, classic Star Trek is about the big idea of the week. And I, I really liked, and he says, and it needs room to breathe. So he was he was kind of saying how this show needs to be episodic because of the kinds of stories they want to tell. So he's not saying it like, we want to be like the original series. It's like, this is the kind of show we're making. We're making a show that it's basically less about the season-long plot arc and more about these big ideas. So I'm hoping that means... We're going to get more allegorical start storytelling, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that. so that is what the original series was, of course, was a way to comment, as most science fiction is, a way to comment on all kinds of different ideas, concepts, events without having to be direct. So, like, to me, when you say traditional Star Trek, that's what it means. I don't think, oh, white man in the captain's chair, that's not to me what that means so it means storytelling in this way and i was thinking it was actually something i think you and matt talked about last week which was being episodic also gives you the freedom to experiment with different tones you can have more variety here's our funny episode here's our very dark episode and so i think this storytelling opportunities are opened up in a big way 
basically things are still looking good for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which we're expecting sometime in 2022. Anson is, is active on Twitter. And so last week he tweeted out this quote from General MacArthur from World War II and about what a true leader means. And it's kind of this nice quote. And then he added Star Trek at the end of it. And it, I guess what he was saying is this is how he sees leadership in a Star Trek context. And maybe he's inspired by Douglas MacArthur, which is kind of interesting yeah. for his for his pike. So maybe he's putting a little because it hit. Let's face it. He's really defining Captain Pike. I mean, he was only in one episode of the original series, unless you, you know, count the menagerie and, you know, we get, you know, but he's basically in one episode. Yeah. It was uh, the same episode. <laughs> yeah. With some packaging. Well, yeah. Yeah. And some beeping. Okay. But yeah. the, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and obviously Bruce Greenwood kind of has his own Pike, which is a separate thing. So. That you know, always just uh, felt like another character to me anyway. Yeah. yeah. And even though Anson Mount is a genuine Star Trek fan, he's been clear since the beginning that he's really defining his own Pike. And I guess I'm starting to feel like Strange New Worlds is, is not going to feel exactly like everything we saw on Discovery or even Short Treks. It's going to be its own thing. And Pike may seem a little different. May you know He has more freedom now, more control now. It's his show. He's the star. And so I'm, I'm just, you know, it does, I don't think it's going to be more of what we've seen. And, you know, Kiva talked about it. They're changing the sets even. So just, I'm just, every time you hear something about Stranger Worlds, I'm more excited about it. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. And I do hope that they shift his character just a little. I mean, you and I have disagreed about this in the past, but I always felt like he, as I, I love his acting. I think he's great and I like the character, but I did feel like he came on too friendly trying to be the anti-Lorca kind of guy and so just a little too congenial a little too smiley I just wanted like the turn that down a little bit so I can see why this guy is a leader and so I feel like I feel like we're going to get more of that balance well I mean I don't know how much you know about General MacArthur but um, he is definitely not the uh, hey I want to be your buddy kind of guy no I mostly Uh... think of him being talked about on MASH a lot (laughs) But yeah, he wasn't he wasn't like a jokey smurf congenial dude no. as far and as very, I know. Very he's a very interesting, very complicated character uh, person. He's not a character, he's a real person, honestly. Yes. Um, <laughs> not a match character. And so I I look hopefully we can interview Anson sometime soon. We could talk about his influences and he's you know, he's a very smart guy, he's very well read. He's very thoughtful. Um, very thoughtful and he has a lovely deep voice which is great for podcasts so let's switch to picard and there's kind of three levels of picard news for the week one is not picard news right exactly (laughs) exactly one is possible picard news and one is actual picard news so let's start with the not picard news on monday and this was by design uh, michael dorn basically blew up star trek twitter (laughs) By tweeting out that he has been, quote, summoned back into action. By Starfleet. And then he, he added hashtag ad. <laughs> um, and, you know, for about half an hour, maybe an hour, people were just losing, 
their shit online. They're thinking, oh my god, it's happening. Captain Worf show's happening, or he's going to be on Picard. And uh, there was a lot of excitement. So we checked around. and yeah, The always come <laughs> Tony said, let's take a breath and figure out what is actually happening. <laughs> right. I mean, the first clue was the ad thing. And I'm like, and the second clue was, would they announce Worf this way being on Picard or in, you know, in the movies? So we checked around and first it was off the record. Then we got it on the record from both Paramount Plus and from Paramount Pictures um, that yeah, this is not us. <laughs> we don't, And they were like, some are like, I don't know what it is, but it's not us. And please um, stop calling. <laughs> yeah, leave us alone. <laughs> and um, so with, I think, about an hour after he posted, we posted the article saying it's not a movie or TV show and it's probably a video game. And uh, it is. I mean, obviously they're trying to have a viral, viral moment, right? They're trying to create buzz. And uh, they did. So, they were successful. They but yeah, we are truth a... tellers here at Trek Movie. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and then two days later, which would be Wednesday, he sent out his second missive, this time a little <laughs> video clip. And by the way, in between these, I also went out to all the game companies and there was only one game company that got that was being squirrely about their answer back. And I started figuring out who it was uh, because they, w- they were not confirming nor denying um, and they still aren't. But we we think that this is all for something called Star Trek Legends, um, which is a game we talked about last week which is this RPG on Apple Arcade. And he posted a video on um, Wednesday, which was an animation showing Worf. It's all staticky. It's trying to be this kind of mysterious viral thing. But based in the context of what the game looks like, that it's a new game, he mentions a ship from the game. Um, This looks like it's a paid promotion where they're paying him to promote the game, the viral campaign's obviously not over yet because he is yet to, and the company is yet to kind of reveal the connection. But I'm like 99.99999% sure <laughs> this is for Star Trek Legends. All right. Congratulations. You created a viral moment, Star Trek Legends. Yeah, it worked. I mean, it completely worked. Everybody yeah. was going nuts. So another guy who's been out doing some promotion, is we talked about last week, is LeVar Burton. And speaking of games, sort of. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there, so he's been, you know, for months, for years, he's saying, I want to be the host on Jeopardy. Um, and after Alex Trebek retires, Alex Trebek obviously passed away. And this week he got his wish. Finally, he was on the list. I mean, we've been watching those lists come out. I'm like, where is LaVar? Where is he? The guest host list for yes. the current season. Yes. So they, they released the final list of guest hosts. There was five. George Stephanopoulos was on there. Um, I forget. I forget who the other people were. Because really, my brain just went, yay, LaVar. So I was happy. Well, you know, that. it was interesting. If you, I mean, his his little campaign worked right because he got celebrities talking about it and when this list went out even though there were some big names like robin roberts was on there um people who are you know major people 
Um, but, you know, Variety and the USA Today and everyone led with LeVar Burton named as guest host because right. people were talking about LeVar Burton. He was the news, even though these, you know, George Stephanopoulos is like, you know, a major part of ABC News and Robert Roberts is, um, C- I'm sorry, CBS News? Yeah, I don't no, know. I forget. NBC, I don't know. See, that's why, you Let's know, because everyone. <laughs> so. You know, I mean, these are all people being paid millions of dollars a year to be on television. Uh, LeVar Burton currently has a podcast, right? That's his current occupation. I'm, I'm sure he's well compensated for it. But just the fact that he's LeVar Burton, Reading Rainbow, Star Trek, Jeopardy super fan, everyone was pulling for him and the media is talking about him. Celebrity Jeopardy winner in the past also. That's um, true. And it was nice. I saw on Twitter there were Star Trek people from across the franchise of all different levels of the franchise saying nice things and really happy to see that he'll be doing that. So he's going to be guest hosting in the summer. I think it's the middle of July. Um, so Trek fans should. Uh, it's July 26th to July 30th. But will he wear the visor for any of the episodes? <laughs> and please wear the visor for several of the episodes. <laughs> How this is related to Star Trek is as part of his active campaign, he did various interviews and speaking to Newsweek, they, of course, asked him about Star Trek Picard. And, you know, they straight up asked him, are we going to see you in season two? And he said, maybe. Right. So, so you know, he's being... KG. He, I mean, he he know. A year ago, he said he's talking to the producers of the show. He expects to be on the show. I, I, I'd say it's f- at least fifty fifty that he shows up in season two. W- what's your sense? I'll go with a fifty five percent chance. <laughs> I do. I think he is going to show up because I think yeah. if he really wasn't, he would just say no. I, I think he wants to keep hope alive. You know, this is, I think he's promoting himself onto Picard the way he promoted himself onto uh, Jeopardy. So if not season two, then season three. But uh, it just as we're going to get into in a moment, season two's already got a few people coming back. So uh, does he fit into that whole thing? Yeah. Um, he did say he doesn't want to, full-time Star Trek gig. He doesn't want to be a series regular like Jerry is now. He doesn't want his own um, show, you know, the, the Jordy LaForge show, but he would like to pop back into the character every once in a while. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast of with Noah Averbeck-Katz on it, our guest today, one of our guests today. And he was talking about how the Star Trek show he really wants to see is the Jordy LaForge show. Like he loves Jordy. So LeVar doesn't want that show, but Noah does. <laughs> Maybe you could talk him into it. There you go. We got some real Picard news. If you guys remember back at the end of 2020, John Delancey let it slip that he's returning to the role of Q for something. And we talked about it here on the podcast and on the website that we kind of assumed he must be talking about Picard, even though he didn't use the words Picard. Um and lo and behold, in April, at the beginning of April, it was revealed that Q's coming back. He was in the teaser trailer, or at least his voice was. And John Lancey was on the panel, and he's excited to come back as Q. Um, and uh, that leak came from a cameo video where he mentioned it, uh, these little 
uh, videos that you could buy for your friends of celebrities. And there's a lot of Star Trek celebrities on there. Um, Lori and I have gotten each other cameos in the past. So it's, <laughs> we a, have. it's a fun thing to do. So there's a guy who we've featured on the site before who gets cameos for um, his daughter from a lot of Star Trek actors, a guy named Tim Roy. And he's been emailing me saying, you should check out what John Delancey is saying on Cameo <laughs> to all these people. Because <laughs> all the Cameo videos show up on your Cameo page. You know, happy birthday to so-and-so and, you know, happy anniversary to so-and-so. And all April... Delancey can't help himself. He's been saying, I'm coming back to Picard. Like as soon as the um, Star Trek day was, was done um, every video he puts out, he talks about being on Star Trek Picard. You know, I assume these people are just, you know, asking for happy birthday videos um, and not like give us Star Trek Picard spoilers, but uh, he does it anyway. He's just obviously so excited to talk about it which is great but he's really spilling some beans there <laughs> i mean not you know it's no major spoilers but we are learning a little bit more including some logistical stuff so it appears that he started working on april 13th um but he's been kind of prepping for a month the way he described it, and he's using similar language in multiple videos, but here's one of the descriptions is, I guess they really needed someone to come in and really annoy the shit out of Picard, <laughs> and that's exactly what I've been doing for the last month. You know, that feels like a classic Q, because I think the question is, what's Q going to be like in Picard? Is Q going to be... I mean, if you think about the character, it's it's a this like powerful, godlike character that could be a very serious thing, right? Yeah, the but power he has is immense. Yeah, and and Picard is a very serious show, but he he's also like he loves to poke Picard. That's what he likes to do is torment him and poke him and get into bed with him and mock him <laughs> and do all these things. So they obviously don't want to lose that tone of that relationship entirely even though the tone of this show is very serious for the most part. And you know, just a logistical thing, because he's recording these things after he started shooting, we can kind of see he's got a little bit of a shorter haircut than he did on First Contact Day, and he's kept the beard. So they haven't cut that out. And he's shooting enough days that we know it's not just a quick appearance. He's confirmed it's multiple episodes. Yep. Jonathan Frakes is directing. There's something a little confusing that I guess we need to find out how they're shooting Picard because he has described how he's in the opening episodes of the season and he's going to appear in the season premiere. But they started shooting in February and he didn't start shooting until April by his own admission. So either I mean, they, there's a couple possibilities. One is, and I, this is what I think is true, which is he's conflating his first episodes with the first episodes. Yeah, I think so, too. That makes but sense. But it, it is possible they're shooting out of order. Like maybe they wanted Frakes to shoot his episodes and Frakes wasn't available until April. So they decided to do it that way or... Or it's location-based. I mean, we don't know. I mean, they could be cross-boarding, which is a technical term, but that's how the Orville is shooting season three, which is you actually shoot things 
as Lori said, just on loca- location based. So you do all the bridge scenes at once for multiple episodes, that kind of thing. Which is um, hard. I mean, it, it definitely saves you time and money. Um, but it, it, I think would be challenging for the actors to be doing all that. And it also allows maybe for a little less freedom to play with things because you're like, oh, we already filmed that, so we can't add that in. But he will be in multiple episodes. It also appears that at least what they shot first was just him and Picard because he's talking about how he he hasn't even met the cast. But he said he will be. I'm looking forward to Q and Raffi in the same scene. (laughs) Absolutely. What else did he confirm? Well, this is the big one. So after he talked about annoying Picard, he talked about or harassing was the word he used. He said, I'm harassing Picard. I'm harassing everybody. Um, And then he said he would be harassing Guinan, which is something we were a little worried about because we know she'd been officially invited to be on the show by Patrick Stewart. And then there was no mention of her on first contact day. So there's been speculation. Is she really, did they cut her because they did so much rewriting? So did they change the story or is it just something they're holding on to, to talk about more later? But he spilled the beans on this one too. We did go down the, the, was she cut rabbit hole? I, you know, I was skeptical of the idea, even though I possibly suggested it. Um, (laughs) That sounds like you, Tony. (laughs) But I, yeah, I mean, it was the thing that got me was why did they mention Brent Spiner in the press release and not Whoopi Goldberg, but obviously they want to make a, de- a bigger deal out of it being officially revealed at some point. Yeah, and they want to um, involve her in it, I'm sure, and do a big thing. Yeah, but apparently she hasn't shot her scenes yet. It, it just it just says coincidence since it's been 30 years because Academy Awards are coming up and it's been 30 years since she won her Academy Award. Uh, there's a big interview with her in Variety, which is a very good interview. And it mentions that she's preparing to return to her role as Guinan in Picard. So that's still to come. And I mean, I don't know for how much cue we're getting. Uh, Delancey used the term, uh, we've got a lot of work to do or something like that. So, you know, there could be a whole bunch of cue in season two. There's at least two episodes, but maybe there's, you know, even more than that. Yeah, and hopefully as much Guinan as they can get in there. I still think Q is good in small doses, though. I mean, he only showed up once a season, right, on TNG. Once on Deep Space Nine, twice on Voyager. And and even when he was in those episodes, he would kind of pop in and out. And I think that that works best. I totally agree. I think it's a great character, but too much it just it starts to get silly and it's one of the i think the biggest issue too is when you have a character who is omnipotent that now nothing is impossible so one last bit of uh, uh trekmovie.com business was uh, right after last week's podcast went out we put up the third and final trailer analysis from first contact day um which was for the star trek discovery trailer we talked about that on this podcast as well a couple of weeks ago, but we went into even more depth and we spotted some more things. It's worth checking out all three of the trailer analyses, but in the in the Discovery one, one of the things that became more apparent was some time has passed, it feels like, between season three and season four. If we're assuming the trailer is 
from the early episodes of the season, which they always do. Because there's not only the new uniforms, but multiple characters have been promoted. If you look closely, Owo, Detmer, and Tilly specifically. So there's there's very likely going to be a kind of time gap between seasons three and four, which would be the first time they've done that. Because all the other seasons have... They literally pick up five minutes later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Michael had her gap year, but that was you know, for timey-wimey reasons, but for the rest of the crew... Well, we um, still saw her land in that. I mean, the first episode, we saw her right right after she she left. And then she had her gap year, and then everyone else shows up. So from their point of view, it's been a constant thing. Right. Um, And so, you know, there's a good guess... I mean, I don't know if we we can get Mary to talk about that or not. I'm sure she won't talk about that. Yeah. But... But and we also there's there's some more costumes, so maybe we could talk to her about that. So check that out. And speaking of Star Trek Discovery, now is a great time for us to bring on our two special guests. So we'd like to welcome Noah Averback Katz and Mary Wiseman. Well, thank you. <laughs> we looked at each other and said, "Who's going first? And we decided to both speak at the same time. Yes. Um. um for clarity. Yeah, we, we're sharing a single microphone and our cheeks are pressed right against each other because we're so excited <laughs> as, to be doing it. As if duetting, yes. <laughs> that's that's pretty much how I picture you guys all the time, so that's perfect. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like we're in some sort of old-timey uh, musical act <laughs> yes. as we record this. You could break into song at any point. Uh, Good. No, no, <laughs> no please. <laughs> You know, this is a first for us to have uh, two people together uh, recording, but I think it was a first for Star Trek Discovery to have a married couple working together, except for Sonequa. Sonequa and Kenrick were on, on the show at the same time. However, I don't think they shared any scenes together. Right. Yeah. Right. Which would have been weird because she was supposed to be a little kid. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. That on Star Trek, all is possible. Anything. True. Possible. So how long were you trying to get on the show, Noah? So I was born in 1989, and around <laughs> April 20th, 1989 was when I sort of started trying to get on the show. Um, and that continued basically every day until... Uh, Sometimes she's. <laughs> You're hurting me. <laughs> this is what it's like. This is your. This is what it's like now. I'm sorry, babe. Um, uh, my my. <laughs> you guys, she left the room. She threw her wedding ring on the ground. <laughs> I knew this is going to be bad, but it's okay. It was worth it. This was worth it. Mm. Um, so my sort of uh, uh, story was that. Originally, I think the first time I went up for um, to to visit set and everything um, was actually around the time when the first remote recording of After Trek was. I, I remember that's the that first time I was up there, mm. um, and I was just sort of like totally gobbledygook, googly eyed, just so excited to be there. And I was showing pictures of me in costume from you know, conventions 15 years ago to anybody who would look and most people would not look and they were just like, <laughs> okay, mister, wh- who are you? Please get away from me. Are you even allowed to be back here? 
um, <laughs> until I showed one to Akiva Goldsman, and he uh, he whipped out his phone and started showing me pictures of him in, in costume from conventions in the seventies. And so we were just like <laughs> saying how cool it was and going back and forth. And Akiva was like, Oh God, we got to get you like as an extra on set. And I'm like, absolutely. I will, I will play the chair. I will do whatever you want me to just like put me on there. I'll do it. Um, and then we went to this like after dinner thing and me and Akiva were sitting at a table and we were still kind of chatting and Akiva was like, well, look, if you really want to be in the show, here's the person to talk to and introduce me to Alex. Um, and me and Alex chatted. And then somebody came up to me and in the middle of our conversation and was like, hey, I, I know you from something. I was like, you don't. That's impossible. There's no way. Uh, and they were like, no, 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 I'm sure of it. And they worked at they worked at CBS All Access and I had done an episode of The Good Fight like really early on. And they're like, and I was like, oh yeah, well, this is like the one thing that somebody could possibly recognize me from. And so in that it's moment- It's like you set it up. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like a meet cute with me and Alex. But, hey, don't I know you from something? Slip him a fiver afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then I was, oh, it's like a real actor, you know, not just somebody who is uh, not just only someone who's a mass, massive dork. Um, <laughs> and I auditioned for uh, Spock. Um, and that was actually like codenamed Tom the Andorian. Do you remember that when yeah. we made that tape together? Um, but like 30 seconds in, I was like, this is not an Andorian. This is a Vulcan. And this is also Spock. It's so funny. Cause I did not get it at all. <laughs> I was like, boy, this Andorian is dry. <laughs> um, and I did that tape and they really liked it. And of course, Ethan is doing just an incredible job of Spock. And I'm so glad that I'm not because I could barely sleep. I would like sit up at like three in the morning being like, babe, was I Andorian enough on the show? And, she <laughs> like, up and, up. Um, and so, you know, I couldn't even imagine trying to fill those shoes. So he, he's been great. And then, and then after that, I was up in Toronto dur during the beginning of season three. And I, my agents were like, Hey, they want you to, to audition for this part. And um, I flew back to New York and, and did this audition. And then like, I don't really remember like getting the part or anything. I just remember like, okay, we got to like put you under like 40 layers of plastic because you're starting tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and that was kind of that. Things move quickly. Uh, Mary, what was your reaction the first time you saw him in the makeup? Oh, it was so strange. And it was, you know, I was, it was exciting. It was like very cool to see a face I know so well transformed. Um, I think it made me anxious sort of, uh, uh, empathetically because if I had to wear that I would immediately rip it off my skin <laughs> like run screaming I think but uh he was such a champ so it was kind of cool and he was amazing and I feel like he did such an amazing job through the prosthetics so um you know it was pretty exciting to watch his whole journey how was it for you Noah seeing your own face like that for the first time you know, it was interesting because, like, really until they started, like, painting my face blue, I wasn't clear on what alien species I was going to be because they were like, oh, because in the, in the sides it wasn't said or maybe they did say it, but they were like, this is going to change. And then at the same time, 
Ian, who played Tolor, who's an Orion, was getting his stuff done like at the exact same time. And I think at some point, one of the makeup guys were like, oh, I didn't, I don't think you're playing a Dorian, you're playing an Orion. So like, I didn't really know until. Um, <laughs> right. Also, just like a point of order, like when you audition for Star Trek, you never like, you never audition with the real script because that's like very protected so there's often you often have mysteries that are not solved until you show up on the set yeah exactly um and i also like you know it basically the first time they put me in costume or in the makeup was not for shooting it was for like a, a makeup test and i had these like really big white sideburns and I had these like braids in my hair. So I sort of looked like this crazy rockabilly Abraham Lincoln Andorian. And I was like, <laughs> who is this guy? Cause they also didn't tell me like what he was going to do. So I was like, am I like some sort of like Andorian lumberjack? <laughs> so it was, it was just sort of like looking and be like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, but this is pretty cool. So you didn't know, it was a recurring role. You just had your pages for your scenes and, and that's all you knew. I think at that point, I didn't even have any pages. I think at that point, they were just like, hey, uh, can you come over here? And I would just be like, yeah. And they're like, sit down. I'd be like, okay, now what happens? They're like, okay, we're going to glue something to your face. I'd be like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then when they when I got the first script, I still didn't really know. The only thing I knew is at the end, I wasn't dead. They didn't blow me up at the end of the first script. So I was like, I've got to come back at least one more time. Like you didn't know you were going to die until you got that script. So you exactly. were constantly worrying about dying. Well, it, I, knowing Star Trek, I sort of knew the arc of a character like this. There was two things that sort of like I was I was prepared for. It was one that's knowing it, the arc of a character like this on Star Trek. I was like, he, he kind of has to go. Um, and the second thing was that, you know, on a call sheet, there's like a list of names and they're corresponding to numbers. So like, you know, like Mary's really high up, Anthony, Michelle, Yo, Sonequa, they all have these really high numbers. And then like- uh, High being low, like Sonequa's oh, yeah. number one. Number one. Yeah, right, sorry. Right. Uh, I'm, numbers are not my strong suit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the direction, which is high and low. I'm still working on that. <laughs> Um, and I was like number 62 and it was like, all right. And then I would look at the call sheet and grudge the cat was 22. And I was like, they're <laughs> if I if grudge is 40 spots higher than me, then they're absolutely blowing me into the vacuum of space. Mary, I noticed you have a great chemistry with, with the Rin character, you know, <laughs> is that, but is that something that was, was they started from the start doing or. Did that kind of grow organically just because it was so obvious you guys worked so well together? I don't really know. I know that like as soon as Noah got hired, my first question was like, when do we get a scene together? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so like I, I felt like, you know, they would I feel like they would throw us a bone and let us do something. And that if we got the opportunity, we would make the most of it. In fact, I think we made a bit too much of it when we uh <laughs> when we first got the opportunity to play with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh Frakes uh, was directing and he <laughs> asked us to pull back. Yeah. I think he told us to chill out. <laughs> Both of us. Well, it was funny. You know, we, we had worked together a ton in, in at Juilliard, yeah. but we hadn't really ever acted together since then in, in, you know, a professional setting. And so I think both of us independently were like ready to come in and have this like tear out, blow out fight scene. And individually, <laughs> Frakes like pulled us aside and was like, 
you need to chill out. You're getting it so wrong. <laughs> and we both left set that day being like, this is the worst day of, I've ever had. We totally Aww. blew it. And then I was like, hey, how was your day? And and I didn't even know that Frakes had told her to calm down too until I left set. <laughs> and, and we both were like, oh, we both came in with the same idea. Well, we uh, both just wanted to like chew the scenery together, yeah. I think. We were just like, let's do it. And really the scene was like, look at this dot on a map. Right. <laughs> it's I, the it's the scene where uh Rin comes into the um uh the ready room the ready room uh and I give him a, t- a little bit of a talking to. Yeah. Yeah, like that scene with Saru, right? With Doug Jones? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cuz I remember thinking, wow, they're very antagonistic. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that regard- You have no idea where it started. Yeah. Like if that <laughs> If you felt like that was antagonistic. Yeah. Imagine me just like running in and jumping, sliding on my knees, doing a front somersault and being like, we're just, get out of here. Yeah, we're like fully putting on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I do think that if you watch any of our scenes and then just like start to incorporate the idea that as far as I was concerned, this was a full-on romance subplot, you can really start to pick up that energy as well. And nobody could tell me otherwise. Yeah. I mean, both of you have worked with Jonathan Frakes and not and with other directors. How is it different when he's on set? How is his style different, and what's the mood like? Um, we have like so many uh, wonderful directors, and we've been so privileged to have a lot of directors come back. Um, but you know, there's something about Jonathan that he's he's such a character uh, in and of himself. He's such a generous like wonderful guy that he his his energy is very infectious so i would say like the weeks that he's on set it's it it, there's like a very like celebratory kind of party atmosphere honest to god Mm -hmm. and every you know you know if we're having a, a hard episode or you know something's grueling we're working nights or something and you're like you know, in hair and makeup being like, oh, I'm tired. Someone's like, oh, yeah, well, next episode is Frakes. And everybody gets a little boost like, oh, okay, okay, there's something to like keep trucking for. It's about to get really fun. Yeah, I also think like from a Trekkie standpoint, he just brings like such an authority to everything he does so that if you're like, all right, you're like, we're spinning around in circles because the, the gravity is off. Instead of with another director, you might be like, well, like, well, is the gravity off? You're just like, whatever you say, Jonathan, you're the, you're, you're the guy. So like, if you say the gravity's off, then it's not on. (laughs) You mentioned this thing of like asking questions and, um, you know, so often fans, as you've noticed, ask questions about, um, you know, does this make sense? Does that make sense? So I'm curious, do either of you ever, like, I know often a writer's on the set, is there a lot of that of, of going to the writer and saying, why is my character doing that? Like when Rin came in, I I didn't understand. We didn't understand why he didn't just tell everyone right away about Osiris. Um, what was it? She was running low on dilithium, right? Yeah. Well for that, you know, I think that like what actually happened was that they wound up having to like cut stuff out of later scripts. Like originally I was supposed to be their accountant, uh, like the accountant of the Emerald chain. So there was this whole (laughs) other sort of arc, which I think they wound up cutting out later on. So it didn't like quite match up at the end there for that particularly, but Mary, you'd probably have more experience with that, like on the day to day. Yeah, I think that like um 
in in television, like the way that writing works, um, you get changes on the day a lot of the time, you know, and we're working out nuances. And then we have this extra element on Star Trek of also having to like respect the laws of physics. So often <laughs> things are like being written and then they kind of have to bounce off a science consultant. They have to um, like, you know, bounce it off that to make sure the science makes sense. And then maybe we have to get a rewrite for that. And so um, the script is a very like dynamic living document. And so sometimes on the day, there's a lot of like detective work. It's kind of like the most fun part is like making sense of everything, you know, asking questions about the science, like what exactly does this mean? So I can picture it in my head. Um, I We have like many very fun, lively conversations uh, on set about um about how everything works and the script comes together. On the older sh Star Trek shows in the Berman era, for example, they were kind of famous for the the script being like the word of God. And mm -hmm. you didn't change a comma, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, but do you guys like, do you ever have suggestions and... You well, know. I think for the benefit of everyone, the Berman era is over and you can have greater, more open conversations about just about everything on Trek. So <laughs> definitely, you know, I felt like working with Mary and working with David Ajala, like David was really, you know, you kind of give it, give the script like as it is once or twice. And then David was always open to, you know, improvising or filling it in or all sorts of stuff that I really think like really brings it to life. And especially on like the heightened moments, it can really make a huge difference, you know, letting it rest, especially with a new character. Yeah. I also think um, television is so close, like, like especially these days, right. Compared to when Star Trek kind of started out, it the, the, the sets are far more theatrical. The costumes are far more stylized back in the sixties. Right. Well, now we have high definition. Now we have these like sweeping epic uh, dramas and we expect a like reality and authenticity in, um, in in the way that characters speak and so sometimes like there's also like just a massaging in terms of like making sure your words feel as easy and authentic to you as they possibly can if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah definitely. yeah have they ever um, nixed something that you really wanted to? Oh do? my god, yeah, all the time, and I love it. Like that for me. Like you know, we went, we went, you know, we we, we studied this like in school. Like this is like kind of academic for us, also. So it's like it's fun. That's the part of it that makes it interesting and challenging. Like, why did you write this this way and not this way? Like, what does this mean? And then their answer infuses the performance with another layer of meaning and depth. So that for me, that interface is very like uh, exciting. Uh, and like sort of that's what keeps it really fun and I think that that's true for the fans of Star Trek also you're kind of like watching and bringing your own interpretation to it and using canon to understand things like Star Trek kind of is naturally a conversational um, narrative form Tilly's sort of been growing up on the show in a, in a, in a little way and she's there's been I'd say Tilly's gone through more changes and had more of a character arc than anyone except for uh, Michael. Hmm. Yeah, she has the benefit of starting out 
in such a strong place, you know, it's such a immature sort of untouched green place. So she gets the benefit of that sort of sharper arc than the characters who kind of come in as settled adults in relationships with a sense of who they are. But I also, you know, I, I just want to, yeah, I think like Saru has this enormous, like actual, like physiological um, outlook change, you know? So I would say that that's the other one, like somebody who ha- who goes through like, mm-hmm. who kind of almost becomes a different character right. afterwards. Right. Yeah. And like all the stuff that he sort of like goes through of re-real, recontextualizing his sort of species existence is, is, yeah. is kind of a big, big change as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've always loved the fact that Tilly kind of lives in like an adolescent place, like that she's right on the precipice of change. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's really the the sort of emotional heart of the show in so many ways, like every scene, Mm. she's the one who sort of gets real in those scenes and says, uh, you know, I love your hair, but people are dying and I'm scared, you know, all those things. And I'm, you know, which I I love. Yeah. yeah, This like unfiltered experience, you know, she's kind of like, uh, I, I know what you mean. Actually, one of the first things like Aaron and Gretchen said to me when I got the part was that Tilly will be sort of a heart of the show. Yeah. So I think I've always kind of carried that with me. Like, oh, this is a person who, whatever it means, has a big heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I remember um, that. And uh, I've loved to have, to have that freedom with, with her also, to be able to be affected by things and not just be brainy or cool or slick or... Um, strong but to also have all this softness and all this um you know experience um yeah you know did you know how high you were going to be on that call sheet and what a big part of the show you were when you were hired i kind of knew um you know again there's something about like the how protected the script had to be because there's all this you know interest online and stuff um that that things do remain mysterious to you as an actor until it's kind of safe for them to be revealed um, and so I, I knew what my contract was, which was like a series regular. So I thought, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to kill me anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but I did find out when I arrived from, um, Akiva Goldsman, actually, that like initially <laughs> my character had gone through all kinds of iterations. And initially she was set to die after the first season. <gasps> I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm glad that was rewritten. <laughs> <laughs> So am I. Can I just say for the record? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Me too, actually. You yeah. know, I'll hop yep. on board with that. <laughs> well, that so, was back when they were talking about the show being a lot like Game of Thrones and they wanted to show the stakes of the show. And so killing sure. a major character in a way makes sense, right? Right. Not that I want you to die. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> I, I see why they might have thought of that in the early days. Cause like, yeah, to show how serious we are, we've got to kill someone. Right. To really set the um, tone as not this like more episodic uh, uh, reset every single time where we're back to stasis at the beginning of every episode, but that things have lasting consequences, which is like the big lesson. I feel like game of Thrones taught us like, don't fall in love with any of these characters <laughs> right. or the show. <laughs> <laughs> So when did you find out, Mary, that they were going to make you the first officer? Like how far in advance did you know that that was coming? Not very far in advance, actually. We got dinner with Alex Kurtzman and and Michelle Paradise were in town. And so were some people from um, CBS, David Staff. And um, we were all having like a nice dinner, like uh, um, 
yeah, all the, all the, the, the cast and um, creatives and stuff. And Alex was like, do you know what's happening to you? And I was like, <laughs> no. Who else would tell me, Alex? And he was like, you're going to be first officer. And I think I was like, I, I, have, to, um, I have to think about that. <laughs> I have to absorb that information. How far into, had you started shooting at that point? Yeah, yeah, we were we were well on our way. I think we were a couple episodes in, three Definitely. episodes in or something. Definitely. I mean, I feel like in season two, and maybe you don't see it the same way, but I feel like they saw what worked in season one. And one of the things that was working was you and your kind of quirky nature. And they kind of ramped that up in season two where you were funnier and tillier. And mm. but I think when they made this decision to make you uh, into first officer, I think they decided, OK, well. We can't use Barry for comic relief anymore, so let's just have Linus do silly things all the time because we're moving you in this different direction. Um, Do you think that's kind of, you know, Mm. am I overreading things or do you think that's what they were doing? And how do you feel about having less less comic relief stuff to do? I'm wondering if you just don't think I'm funny anymore. I think there's still a bit, uh, but I know I know what you mean. For me, it was such a um, a great opportunity for her to move in that direction because um, because I love this character and I want her to grow and change and um, you know have have depth and have experiences that um, build her character. You know, this is this is just what I what I want for her. So I was really grateful for that change. But yeah, I mean, I do. It all does require a balance, I suppose, doesn't it? I don't. I don't know how on on purpose any of that was, but it's an interesting observation. The shifts in that. I also feel. I also felt a natural shift where um, Adira kind of becomes more of like the young um, mentee character mm-hmm. as as Tilly kind of takes on more um, responsibility. I mean, I I thought there were funny moments, but I actually just teasing you. I I no, but I I actually thought they did too much of it in season two, where mm-hmm. I was almost worried the character was becoming a parody of itself. Yeah, they dialed mm-hmm. her up to eleven just a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but then I they, <laughs> I feel like, but I feel like she was still again for me that emotional core. And so that mm. never left. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's this big introduction of this like enterprise crew in that season. And so it kind of was like, um, I, I kind of had this like nice arc in the beginning where I go to the mycelial network. And then I think I just kind of took a back seat. So then when, um, while, while like other things came to the foreground, which is a natural part of like storytelling, you have to like kind of highlight and then low light and zoom in and zoom out of different storylines but i think my through line was kind of being on the bridge being silly and so maybe that thought um like it wasn't changing you know yeah absolutely yeah speaking of uh, the the enterprise people it's there's kind of a weird thing where there's two star trek shows shooting in toronto at the same time (laughs) Yeah. Um, but on, at different studios, right? Because you guys are at mm-hmm. Pinewood and they're up at the um, Missa, I don't know. Missa Sonata. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So are, is there any interaction? Like, do you guys get dinner together or anything? Um, or? Well, not, not this, this year. year. There's literally not. There's literally no interaction no. with anyone. No one is so. having any interactions. <laughs> so your dreams it's... of the Star Trek hangout crossovers are definitely not happening yeah. right now. It would. It would if definitely. it weren't. If if it weren't if it were the year times. that it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're fully oh, shut down there too, like more yeah. so than we are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toronto's hurting right now. Have you used the AR wall yet? Yes. I assume this is the first time you as an actor's ever worked with something like that. What is that experience like? I think like we're you know we're some of the first people to get to work with this kind of technology, so it's it's kind of a privilege, you know, and it's also kind of very um, much the future in that we're still all figuring it out as it happens. Like it, it's, it's amazing. It, it really is like, I'm not really a tech person. Like I don't really care. I'm not an early adopter. I'm kind of like a Luddite, but when you kind of encounter the AR wall, it's such a big piece of machinery and it, you can see all the processing like storage and stuff like that. And it's just kind of awe-inspiring. Like it's a really cool piece of technology and it's a really cool um, intersection between art and technology. And it, getting to work in these environments that are alien and actually getting to see what you're responding to, like, it's a different level of it, performance. I mean, it has to be, you know? It's it, it's so cool. This isn't a spoiler because we've all seen it. There are new costumes, new uniforms in the new season. Mm. So mm-hmm. how how are – I mean, those the old ones are famously uncomfortable – um, yeah. what are the new ones like? Um, they're, they're actually really much more comfortable. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a difficult, um, what Gersha is like, the thing she has to aim for is so difficult because it has to be like this, like really durable, um, uh, material, right? Because it's the only thing you see and it, it has to like be really square and military. And so it's just like, it kind of has to pull you up and in, you know? And so these, these materials end up being like really thick and kind of like hard, you know, they have like, <laughs> like sharp elements, oh. but the ones that we're wearing now are made of this, like, ugh, Gersha could talk about this so much more intelligently because she's like a genius, but like, it's this softened kind of neoprene that has a very futuristic quality, but is also very soft. And um, she also gets to work with different colors with these uniforms and the colors are very beautiful, um, which is, I don't know, that's very exciting to me. She just like the palette is very um, lovely in these new uniforms. So it's been a really fun change, you know, it's been great for my personal life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what about, because there's also a new, in the trailer, we saw you wearing this kind of armor tactical thing yes. that, that does not look comfortable. Uh, it's not, but it is so cool. Like, <laughs> it is the coolest thing I've ever, like, seen myself in. I when, when I was, like, during the fittings when I was trying it on, I was, like, doing Spider-Man poses in the mirror. <laughs> I just like never felt so badass. I remember you telling me um, about it. Yeah, those are really cool. And you know, once you actually get to see the season, you'll get to see that there's so much detail and thought that goes into every element. They're kind of, um, they're like you know, it's kind of like wearable sculpture. And there's a lot of minds uh, that go into creating something like that, from you know, uh, the fabrication process and 3D printing and um, props and electrics and lighting, and it's just. It's so cool. It's really impressive. They're really like little works of art. So I'm excited for people to get to see um, everybody's labor. 
since we like to freeze frame things in these um trailers it looks like tilly is wearing a new badge with as a lieutenant junior grade is that accurate i plead the fifth (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is her uh lawyer aka husband saying uh you know i'm curious i mean no as, as such a nerd um so during seasons one through three or especially seasons one and two when you weren't there were you always asking for spoilers or did you You want to experience the show real i started out not just asking for spoilers but reading the scripts yeah so like it wasn't just like i was like hey what happens because eventually mary would start describing it to me and then i'd be like wait i don't actually understand because like i don't know who all these people are what's going Mm -hmm. on um so i was just like well let me just steal the scripts off the kitchen table and start reading them but after the first season i actually found that the less I know, the more I enjoy watching the show because it feels like a surprise and I don't know what's coming and I don't sort of have a preconceived notion about it, which I think is really helpful. Um, but uh, but I do still ask her for like spoilers and stuff and like, okay, can you just tell me this yeah. one thing? And then occasionally <laughs> she'll tell me, and other times she'll just say, like, if you're good. <laughs> I know that um, first season, I know Anthony was having like screening, par- people were having screening parties, and you guys were watching episodes together. Are you like, Mary, what is it like? Do you watch the episodes, and are you guys watching together? We we watch it together. Um, Noah gets mad at me if I watch without him. Um, <laughs> A little inside baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, we used to do screenings and stuff like that, which is obviously not possible um, this Weird, season. Yeah. But so we kind of like me and Noah watch it together. And then next time you're on set, you kind of debrief with everyone and tell right. everybody how amazing they were. Because well, a lot of the time, you know, when you're watching the show, and I had this experience, it's like you're watching what you did for the first time. Like mm-hmm. you're not getting some sort of advanced look at it. Yeah. You're not even really watching any kind of dailies or anything like that. And you really have no idea how the CGI is going to look once it's been put in, how they're actually going to wind up cutting together all the things that you did. So, you know, really for the actors, most of the actors watching it, it's like watching it for the first time, just like all the other fans. And it's it's actually like kind of a sensitive experience watching yourself, you know, and, you know, how did this come out? Like, did they, like, did I nail this scene? Did they pick the, you know, did they pick the take I really wanted them to pick? Um, it can be like a little um, self-conscious. So it's it's kind of nice to just be able to watch it in the safety of your home with your yeah. partner yeah. as opposed to, you know, at a party where yeah. you're... <laughs> Exposed. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, a lot of actors won't watch their own stuff. So I think it's yeah. great that you're watching it. You kind of have to watch this show or else you'll just sort of get left behind, you know, because there's <laughs> just stuff where you see it and you're like, oh, I need to have some sort of visual reference for what that looks like. So that when I, way when I have to talk about it later or when I have to talk about this person, I know who they are or know what they look like. I also think that like a lot of actors who do that, who like stop watching their stuff uh, like have a lot of experience under their belt and have yeah. seen a lot of their own work. Whereas like, at least I can speak for myself. I'm still very much learning. Uh, you know, this has like been my big concentrated period to like learn how to act in front of a camera. Yeah. So that information is still really valuable to me. Um, yeah. That feedback of getting to see how it felt versus how it presents when it's all cut together. It must be 
strange to be on a show, especially as you're saying earlier in your career with so much intensity of fan reaction. And so how, how much are you and maybe the other actors paying attention to this kind of immediate feedback on social media and the reviews and YouTube videos? It's like a, just a fire hose of feedback. Yeah. It's pretty relentless. I think fire hose is a really good metaphor. Um, I think at first we were more connected to it. And I think like many who have come before us, we have learned that that information is not um, helpful to us, to doing our jobs or to being happy people in the world. <laughs> so yeah. um, you do actually have to drown uh, a lot of it out um, because um, you can't control what you see. And sometimes you see things that are damaging to you, you know, and even to your process and to the work. Like, I can't really bring in this guy's opinion about Tilly into my work because it's not fair to everybody I work with. It's, you know, it's irrelevant. I have to, like, listen to my collaborators for guidance on what I'm doing, not, you know, not somebody who has harshly worded criticism on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to, I just had to check and see how my mom was doing and if she (laughs) liked it or not. (laughs) because <laughs> uh, that would be really bad if she was not happy with my performance that's pretty right. much the audience of one yeah for me. <laughs> so noah there's a long tradition in star trek of actors who finish one role get killed off whatever and come back i mean you saw we've seen this with ken mm-hmm. in season three and season two and season one mm-hmm. um so uh, you know Obviously, this is something you'd like to do. How'd you guess? <laughs> well, and we and we know you can handle the prosthetics, which I think is a pretty big deal when they find people mm-hmm. who can deal with that, it is. right? Not just being able to handle it, but really being able to act through it. It's a special gift. Like that's a gift that Doug Jones has and mm-hmm. Noah has a knack for it. Obviously, you're hoping for this, but do you think it's it's possible, likely that you will be coming back in other roles? Have you been talking to them about this? Um, you know, I'm here to announce that I have nothing to announce. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the one thing, you know, I obviously get asked this question a lot and, you know, obviously I'd love to come back or whatever. I think the thing that is very different than sort of the olden days, you know, the UPN days is that you're shooting 12 episodes instead of 24. You're in a much longer schedule instead of like trying to smash everything into a week. Mm. So you have this really, really high turnover rate. And there's sort of almost this constant level of panic of trying to find somebody who can trust to do the role Mm -hmm. as opposed to now when everything takes a lot more time. And because it's shot in Canada, uh, it's you only you you can have a certain number of American actors and you need to have a certain number of Canadian actors so that you can work in Canada and be uh, copacetic with all of the unions involved. So there's just like a lot more moving parts nowadays, or at least in this iteration. So it's not as easy to just sort of like slide back into something. That being said, you know, I, uh, I will, I will, um, I will do pretty much anything. So, you know, I'm here and ready to go. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, also like just the amount I did get to do and everything and how much fun I had and, and how it completely surpassed my expectations. It's not like I got to like dip my toe in and and sort of like left wanting for more, even though it wasn't, you know, on and on and on. I actually feel like it was this perfect balance where I got to get in, 
and really get the best of it and then get out before I really started to lose my mind in that prosthetic, you know? <laughs> so, so all things considered, I do feel pretty lucky and happy with what I, I did get to do. But is there maybe a species you have your eye on in case you could come back? Um, definitely not human. I think that's absolutely out. Nobody wants that for me. Um, uh, Call times are atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm really curious to know what all these Cardassians are up to. Um, yeah. Because they're hanging around and they seem good now, but are they? They're not. They can't be, you know? So... <laughs> Throw me, throw me, give me, a, put a tape a spoon to my head and I'll just waltz in front of that AR, AR wall and nobody will know. Just keep showing that you so, have a long neck. That seems to be the yes, key a to long, a Yes, a long, long, beefy neck and a big spoon <laughs> on my head. I'm good to go. So, Mary, we can't get into spoilers, obviously, but we were talking about how you've had these kind of, every season you've had a great arc, I think, for Tilly. A lot to work with. In season four, is is there kind of a meta a meta Tilly story, Tilly story as well, for yes. her that you enjoyed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Period. Yes. <laughs> Period. Dot 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 question mark. There you go. <laughs> Can you say yes. anything about season four um, yeah, about Tilly I, or just anything? I would say that, like you know, like in the spirit of the character, Tilly continues to grow and. Uh, develop into the person she's gonna be um and and that is very much the spirit of the fourth season's arc um um and that's all i can say yes. unless you have a warrant <laughs> <laughs> well we do um oh, no so i this is i feel like i've asked you mary this question every season that i've had the chance to interview you but uh, the big question is like are you and and uh burnham still roommates <laughs> that's all i really want to know I think Book might have something to say about that. Did you guys well, think? We know she's having sleepovers on his show. You're right. I I think I think it's okay for me to say that you're still roommate. She's still roommate. She's people. the captain now. She's, I know. She's like the president. She yeah. can't like she's still roommate. She just can't have a twin bed anymore. You know? <laughs> she's got to upgrade. She's running. Mary's stuff. being modest. I I I saw blueprints for the set, and there is something on the set that says Mary Till or Tilly Tilly Burnham ex, uh, special sleepover room for exciting party. <laughs> We do. We still have a sleepover every Friday. I nice. made her promise me. I mean, all of season three, it was implied you were still roommates, right? Yeah, I think it was before she comes. I, before she becomes captain, we stayed roommates. Yeah, I, mean, I would. I would want that for me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Like they, they have a very close. There are there are a support system for each other, right. so it makes sense to me that they stayed together. But maybe that's I don't know. I always wanted a sister. I don't know. <laughs> There's something deep and psychological. Yeah, that must have been an emotional day. I I I, I assume it wasn't shot the day that uh, Burnham had to move out. A well, cardboard the, box and the day I realized <laughs> that we didn't live together anymore. I like grabbed Sonequa and was like, "Wait a minute, are we not roommates anymore?" And she you... was like, "I'm so sorry." I'm so sorry, Mary. <laughs> no. It's this like is, I'm the captain. I'm with Book. I got stuff going on. <laughs> we'll always of course, be close. She, <laughs> there was that time she just dumped the cat on you, which yeah. was so, so uncool. 
So can I say you know, people people anymore? make careless choices when they're falling in love. Like, and you know, there's always like, isn't it true? Like, anytime your best friend falls in love, you always have one conversation with them where you're like, you're kind of being a jerk. Like, you're kind of being selfish. And like, I know you're in love. Like, I'm still here. And so it felt very authentic to like your best friend and like partner like getting a new. Life. Like you and that cat absolutely hit it off, which drove me insane because that cat wanted to tear my face off. I, it was so unfair. We didn't hit it off, but I don't think he was scared of me, which is huge with cats. Yeah. I was some blue devil screaming in his face for 16 <laughs> hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was it working with the cat generally? It, I fun. Yeah. It, it was, was a cat. It was a <laughs> diva. The cat was a diva and was so challenging. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't they the cat wouldn't jump in my lap so somebody uh picked it up and just threw it into my lap and that's how we got the oh, shot that poor cat it must have been <laughs> so scared it was higher those on the scenes call. were so good they were i'm sensing a little too. i'm sensing a little jealousy here with the cat there's extreme cat jealousy absolutely that was <laughs> that was truly my nemesis on set was this like was this blank stared cat who's like you know <laughs> talk of the town everybody loves this cat and Noah and I share a cat who can be very sweet with me and sometimes a devil with him. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just projecting onto, mm, onto my experience. You perhaps. Know? Well, that explains the look on your face during those scenes with the cat, Noah. It's truly not acting. There was two times I wasn't acting, and that was the one time when I was running past all those fireballs, and they were like, don't step on this or it's going to melt the plastic to your face. And the second <laughs> oh. time was when... The cat was screaming in my face and I was just screaming back at it. And it, was, it was challenging. So before we wrap up, is there, when Discovery wraps up this season, I guess sometime this summer, is there anything you could talk about? Uh, any hiatus projects for either of you? Oh, not no. currently. Mainly just because <laughs> it's been, you know, with the, the way the industry is right now, that there's not a ton going on. And you know, I'm also like very much in the middle of filming right now. Yeah. So there's there's not a ton happening. And, you know, we're, we're both New, New York people and theater people, and that is very much not happening. So we're being like really terrible self-promoters right now. <laughs> like absolutely <laughs> nothing. Do not Google us. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, Corona behaves enough for um, for for Star Trek Las Vegas to happen. That's sort of yeah, my that'd be so fun. My thing is is that's what I'm looking forward to. You guys are both uh, scheduled for 50, I think they're called the 55 year mission in August. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But we'll Excellent. you know we'll see if we'll see what what happens with that. But that would be very fun. Yeah. What yeah. about uh, Mission Ch- Mission Chicago uh, next April? I don't think we've gotten any information about that uh, in terms mm-hmm. of like appearance stuff. I think I think the the first we heard about it was when you guys heard about it too. Mm. Right. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm sure something. Will I'm happen sure there I, as well. I can visit. You know, I'm sure I can buy a ticket and hang out there. You know, <laughs> 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 who's going to stop me that way if I pay for my ticket? Yeah. Me and my mom are going to Chicago. You tricked him, baby. Last, I smarted him. The last convention I went to was in Chicago. So it would be a real homecoming if I purchased a ticket just to get to see my wife do a Q&A, which I would do. I, al- so my I always make him charge to hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I charge see- him. <laughs> I want to see you go up to the microphone in the audience and ask her a question. It, you 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 joke, but that will happen 
definitely at some point, and if not me, definitely my mom <sighs> will. But it has uh, at least has to be a question. <laughs> it has okay. to be a really bad question for that authentic convention. Experience. Do you love your husband? <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't married to Noah, who would you date on the show? Rochelle, stop! <laughs> I'm married to your son. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, I don't know how else to thank you except to say thank you. Thank for you so much. This time. Thank well, you thanks guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah happy what a to blast. Be here. Yeah, we're, we're so happy uh, big, you could come. We're big fans. So if that wasn't made clear, we try not to be all fanboy and fangirl. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. But we, you know, we uh, reviewed the season together and we had so many nice things to say about both of you. We were so sad when Rin died, but. It was, was a good death. Yeah. I was so sure he was going to go in that first episode, then so happy he didn't. And then when he finally did, I was like, oh, man, I was pissed. I want, I wanted you to feel pain and anger on my behalf. So I'm really <laughs> I happy did. that was your experience. <laughs> good. <laughs> and we're big fans of Tilly, too. The, the Tilly yeah. scenes are the ones that, I, that get the most tears out of me. Like, I love, yeah. I love all the Tilly and Michael scenes so much and Tilly and oh Saru, God, but that's where my emotion like uh, Star Trek. As much as I've been loving it and watching it since I was ten years old, it didn't used to make me cry. Mm. And I know it's, it's, it's Tilly who does it every time, like sh- sh- version of the show. I yeah. think, yeah, definitely. Um, also, I just have to say this is not a spoiler in the traditional sense, but if you love like those kind of scenes, Laurie, season four. Do we have some doozies? Awesome. Right, uh, wait, wait. Really Hold on. Are you breaking news that there's going to be cry- crying on Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, well, we'll keep in touch and we can't wait to see season. I guess it's coming this year, they said, sometime. So, I guess so. Season. I was surprised to hear that, but. <laughs> <laughs> we're, really we're saying it might around. be December. The last week of December would still be the yes. December thirty first, yeah, New Year's Eve. <laughs> it still, it still counts. Yeah, um, it still counts. <laughs> okay, thank you guys. All Thanks right, have so a good one. Okay, so that was Noah and Mary, and that was a that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm so glad we held out to get both of them together which took a while. We've been trying to make that happen for a while, but I think it was really worth it because it was such a fun conversation. And I really just, I love the two of them as a couple, as an acting couple, Um, but also just as people, they're so funny and warm. And it was just, I think, a more entertaining conversation to get the two of them together. Yeah, it's the first time we've done anything like that. And I guess there won't be a lot of opportunities for, you know, couples. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it was absolutely worth it. Um, You know, we know that they're not going to be revealing spoilers, but that wasn't what the interview was about. We weren't really pushing to try to get season four stuff. But I think we got a really good sense of what life was like on the set, what life was like bent, not only for them together, but in general for Star Trek Discovery, both in in general and for season four. Yeah, no, I think, I think we got a good sort of snapshot of it. One thing that really struck me, I have to say was the conversation about the onset spontaneity, right. And David Ajala uh, doing all these um, improvising and stuff like that. So different for Star Trek. Oh my God. 
I mean, the stories you hear of they had to, you know, back in the 90s, they'd have they wanted to change a, a pause or swap out a word. They had to call someone, which meant calling over to the writer's office, waiting for the right person to get on the phone. 20 minutes later, while everybody's standing around, they're told, yes or no, you can change that word. But they have writers on set for discovery, which is the way that most people are making TV now. Yeah. It's definitely a very different process, but the way they described it, it almost seemed a lot more fluid than I realized. Like I knew there were changes being made on set, but it just felt like uh, much more interactive than I, than I realized. Yeah. And but it, the actors are more involved, which is good because I, I do think that you get better performances when they have some kind of input and they're not sitting there thinking, I, you know, I, I don't know how to say this. It doesn't feel like something I would say. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it's now time to do our bits of the week. Um, and my bit comes from Wired. And uh, they posted this article this week called Turns Out Spock is Kind of Bad at Logic. No! Um, (laughs) And it's from a new book uh, called The Scout Mindset, which is kind of a book about psychology. And it analyzes all sorts of, you know, different real world people and, you know, fictional characters. And the author actually did a complete analysis of Every time Spock said the word impossible, if something was impossible on Star Trek, um, 83% of the time, <laughs> he got it wrong, that it wasn't impossible. But that's not Spock's fault. That's because he was in a crazy world of Star Trek. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But you know, it reminds me of um, Worf, right? Didn't Whenever they wanted to show if someone was tough, they'd have him beat up Worf. Right. <laughs> and so I think it's the same thing. Of If Spock is the ultimate in intelligence to show how amazing these characters are, if they're able to do something that Spock said was impossible, then that's just how amazing they are. Uh, but I guess the point here is they're kind of, you know, this analyst is saying you know, at some point Spock should have caught on and figured out that they're really good at the impossible. Right. Right. Or really what it is, is the Kirk factor. Because Spock would say, you know, the odds of you being able to do this are eight gajillion and five to one. (laughs) But Kirk is Kirk and Kirk will take those odds and go do the thing that Spock said not to do. And it'll work out just fine. So, Lori, what's your Trek bit of the week? Mine is very old. It's so funny because Kayla at Trek Movie brought this up recently. And it's an old commercial featuring many of our Star Trek stars from the 90s that I watch almost once a week just to cheer myself up which is so random but it's a you know i I don't know if people remember all these phone companies that had their deals it was mci back in the 90s and they had this whole friends and family thing going on where you would pay less for phone calls if people were in your network and obviously it was a way to get if i'm using mci i'd tell all my friends to use it too so that we could get a lower rate And so they filmed this great commercial with the original Star Trek cast and they make MCI headquarters look like it's NASA or something like there's all these people in a room and they're cheering because the Star Trek stars are now forming this friends and family group. And it's very early 90s. It's very funny. They did play with the character. There's a great moment where Divorce Kelly says that he's mad about always getting Leonard Nimoy's answering machine. And Leonard Nimoy says, well, I'm usually home. I'm just selective about the calls I take. 
<laughs> which is my favorite part. And then there's a surprise Frakes at the end who gets involved. It's just, it's super silly and super fun. And the MCI people all cheering as if like we've just landed on the moon when they get all the Star Trek stars together. <laughs> it's a great ad. Um, I, it, I was thinking, you know, looping this back, uh, tying it into the beginning of the podcast when Michael Dorn was tweeting cryptically and used the word ad, I thought maybe what he was doing was he's been hired to promote something, which he's obviously been, but that it was going to be something like that. Or like when Shatner did the direct TV commercials. Remember those from like 10 years ago? I don't think I saw those. Yeah, He actually did them as Kirk. Right. They they kind of recut a scene from I think Star Trek Six. I'm gonna find it if it exists and put up a link for all you people. I thought perhaps the Dorn thing was gonna be something like that, where it was just gonna be a straight up like commercial, um, where he was either a wharf like character or actually wharf, but he was promoting But this is them. They're not in character, they're as actors, but of course they group they're in two groups basically, which is, you know, the the crew the bridge crews one group and then they get to the trio of DeForest Kelly Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner and then they just throw in freaks to mess with everybody. But I think of how much fun it must have been to go and do these and film these things. Okay, I need you to just laugh uproariously into the phone for a few minutes and then they film that. <laughs> <laughs> and they all love each other and get along and hang out with each other just like they did in real life. Exactly. When they go friends and family, who else could it be but us? And I'm thinking, I noticed they weren't in any scenes with William Shatner. <laughs> even in their phone moments. So, but yeah, it's still, it's delightful. It'll just put a smile on your face and you can pretend that all is right with the world. So thank you again for spending your time with us at All Access Star Trek and with TrekMovie.com. I'll be very hungry for feedback as you guys pointed out last week. So bring on the feedback. So come back next Friday as we do every Friday morning. It's All Access Star Trek. Goodbye. Goodbye.